You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. When I was uh, first arriving with my family into Zimbabwe, we had flown into Johannesburg, South Africa, and uh, I had an old missionary who had been in... in, um, in Mozambique for many, many years, and he kind of pulled me off to the side, and he said, you know, he said, now you're getting ready to be in a vehicle that when you cross into Zimbabwe will be worth four times the value that it is here. In other words, we had paid 10000 U.S. dollars for a vehicle in South Africa. When we crossed into Zimbabwe, it would be worth over $40,000. He said, you're pulling a trailer that is loaded with all kinds of stuff. And he said, all of that's worth a lot of money. And he said, you need to understand this, that there's a possibility that you may be robbed once you get into Zimbabwe. And he said, let me tell you how to handle that. He said, what you do, and it can be at a military roadblock, he said, it may look like a military roadblock, but he said, they, you can be robbed at these military roadblocks. And he says, and you can get your family killed. And he said, I want you to listen to me very closely. He said, if they ask for this stuff, or even before they ask for it, you just hand them the keys. And he even smiled because he was very serious. His name was Jim. Jim looked and said, and offered to fill the vehicle up with gas, and petrol they called it. He said, do whatever. He said, but give them everything and you and your family just walk off into the wilderness. And then he looked at me and said, do you understand that? I said, yes. When we got to Zimbabwe and we got to the capital, I began to be uh, surrounded by one long-term missionary after another who would give me all kinds of bits of advice. One took me in our vehicle and we went and, and filled it up and And I noticed that he was rocking the vehicle while he was putting petrol in it. And and, and finally I asked him, I thought, well, that's strange. I said, why are you rocking the vehicle while you're putting petrol? He said, well, you can get more into it. He said, because you don't know when you're going to be able to find it again. And you need to get all the gas, all the petrol that you can get into that vehicle while you have a chance. I had another old missionary who had been living there for about 40 years. And he made this statement. He said, hey, when you're traveling a long time, he said, take a piece of meat, a steak, a good piece of meat, and he said, wrap it in foil, lay it on the engine, and by the time you get, and he told me how long it would take, he said, by the time you get to that point, that piece of meat, when you take it out and unfold it, it'll be tender, it'll be ready to eat. I had another missionary that said, uh, hey, look, when you go out into those primitive areas, food may be hard to come by. Get you, uh, get you a bunch of bananas, and you got a jar of peanut butter, and uh, you can survive on that. I had another missionary, an old missionary, that, that told me about his dog, his, his family pet he had with him that was bitten by a black mamba, a very dangerous snake. And he had, he had somehow been able to send an electrical current where that point of poison was and had, been not, had saved his animal by reversing the toxicity of the poison. 
I had another old missionary doctor who gave me a book called Where There Is No Doctor. I had another missionary who told me even the possibility of being able to perform simple surgeries if you were in the bush. All of these missionaries were trying to prepare me for a culture that was alien to me. I didn't understand. I didn't know that you couldn't get gas everywhere you stopped. I didn't know that you couldn't pick up a, a pack of nabs and a Coke at a corner grocery uh, minute mart. I, I didn't understand all of this. These old missionaries were trying to prepare me for a culture that in some ways was alien to me. I didn't understand. Last week when, when Eric Seals, he and I were kind of locking up, cutting lights off and getting ready to leave, I was talking to him about this upcoming series, How to Prepare Children or How to Raise Children in Uncertain Times. And, uh, you know, Eric looked at me, and of course they have little Caroline, just young and, and just, you know, just a few months old, and he said, you know, that's a frightening thing about where we're going as a nation and how scary it is raising children. And, and I said, well, we can't walk by fear. We have to walk by faith. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about how to parent, how to raise children in uncertain times. And I know this is the holiday weekend and, and there's some that are not here. I hope they'll go back and listen on the website. But I believe today that it can help you be prepared to raise kids in uncertain times. So let's pray, and then I want you to look at Daniel chapter 1. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, that, dear Lord, you anoint this preaching of your word. Father, that you cleanse all of us. If there's anything in our lives, anything we've said or done or thought, that you would just remove that and make us receptive to the message that you would give us today. And Lord, we just pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and go back to the Old Testament. And I want you to look at the first chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Now let me give you a little background material here. As you're turning to Daniel chapter 1 there, I want you to, I want you to see that, uh, that these are very, very difficult times. In other words, the nation of Israel, Israel after David, after, well, after Saul and David and Solomon, after the death of King Solomon, Israel had divided, it had split. The northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, the northern part of the old Israel, had finally been, uh, had finally been captured by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom called Judah was, was being uh, captured later years under a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The Babylonians had come in, they had taken the, the southern kingdom of Judah as well as the northern kingdom of Israel and they had taken the, the best and the brightest of Israel and they had transplanted them all the way back into Babylon. Okay? And, and these, are, these are young men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've heard those names, haven't you? Say amen if you've heard those names. Okay? So these, these young men, these are some of the most promising, gifted, have been picked up. They have been picked up out of their home, and they've been carried into an alien culture, language, 
Nothing was familiar to him. Now understand this. Nebuchadnezzar and what many rulers would do in a military conquest is they would go into a captured land and they would take the best and the brightest and the most educated and the most promising and they would take that leadership and they'd pick them up and they would carry them and they would indoctrinate them into their culture. In other words, what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do, what the Babylonians wanted to do, was they wanted to take the best and the brightest, bring them to Babylon, and begin to teach them their language, their culture, their customs, and indoctrinate them. And over a period of time, listen, change them from being an Israelite to a Babylonian. Parents, are you with me? This is exactly what our enemy, the devil, wants to do. He wants to take godly Christian young men and women who have been influenced by the Scripture, influenced by spiritual parents, and he wants to indoctrinate them into the culture of the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So this is the background. Now the Old Testament prophets... Isaiah and the northern kingdom had been prophesying. In fact, there came a point. You know what Isaiah said? Isaiah said, God, nobody's listening to us. Isaiah said, I don't want to do this anymore. God, because nobody's listening. Then you had men like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Do you know those names? These great men that begin to rise up in the southern kingdom of Judah and they begin to prophesy. Now they again had the problem people weren't listening. Nobody was paying attention. So Jeremiah would wear a yoke around his shoulder as if to say to the nation of Israel, when people say, why do you have this yoke? Imagine tomorrow if you went to work or you went to school and you were wearing an old yoke around you. And people said, well, why do you have that? And you said, well, I believe that America is going to be taken over by a foreign government and we are sooner or later going to be under the yoke of bondage of another nation. Okay, in other words, Jeremiah did that to get the attention of people. Ezekiel would stand on the wall and speak out at a watch, as a watchman. But the nation of Israel, whether the northern kingdom, now the southern kingdom of Judah, were not listening. And so this is the environment. And now we find Daniel and these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are out of Israel. They are in a strange land, hearing a strange language, seeing strange customs, and all of it's unfamiliar to them. And this culture, this language, this government is indoctrinating, trying to change them. And that's critical for you and I to remember. Now, I want to give you, as parents, four keys that I believe are critical in raising children in uncertain times. Are you ready for them? Number one, number one, and I believe this was the key to Daniel. You know, when you look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, and especially Daniel, do you know that in Old Testament and New Testament studies, do you know that in seminary, one of the things that we're taught, I'm sure Reggie's heard this, that there is no figure like Daniel in all the Scripture outside of Jesus Christ. Not, in, not even the Apostle Paul, not even Moses. There is nothing negative about Daniel. Daniel seems to stand as a figure that almost stands alone. But your thought is... 
How did he get to be that young man? Because see, he was probably about 15 years old when he was captured by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and taken to Babylon, 14 or 15 years of age. How do you get this kind of young man with this kind of caliber, this kind of integrity, this kind of stamina? Let me give you four keys. And I believe they're keys to Daniel's ability to be the man that he was because he was raised by these kind of parents. Number one, I believe that Daniel was raised by parents who listened to the prophets. I believe that Daniel was raised by, by a mom and a dad who not only listened to the prophets, but listen, they were not only listening, they were listening to spiritual voices, spiritual leaders. They were listening to those voices that were coming from the very, from, from the very throne of God that they saw value in, they saw worth. And so these were parents that were teaching their children at a young age, you need to listen to spiritual leadership, spiritual voices, prophetic voices. Pay attention to that. And my friend, that is critical in all of us. You know, these prophets were like gifts from God. God was trying to wake, wake up. God was trying to alert His people. He was trying to raise them up. He was trying to bring them to, to a point of repentance. Now, much of the nation would never repent. They did not repent, and ultimately they were judged by God. But the reality is, is the prophets were there to prepare the nation of Israel for an uncertain future. Nationally, corporately, and as a covenant people. You see, ultimately what God was going to do with the nation of Israel is God was going to discipline them because they had turned away from the prophets. Prophets, They had turned away from their spiritual moorings, their commitment and faith in God, and had begun to wonder with the culture of, that was around them. They were not listening, but some were. And I believe Daniel's parents had modeled before Daniel. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those parents had modeled before them, listen to the voice of the prophets. Listen to those spiritual leaders. Now let me say something, and this is critical. You and I need to understand. We may not suffer. Individually, you may think, you know, right now I'm, I'm right with God. I'm, I'm living in obedience to the Lord. I'm spiritually walking with Christ. I am personally where I need to be right now. Now, I want everyone to listen closely. We need to sometimes differentiate where I am individually and where I am in a group of people corporately. We're living in a nation today that in all honesty, most prophets, most spiritual leaders, men and women, are basically warning our nation that morally and ethically and spiritually we're sliding down a chasm and nobody's stopping. And so spiritual voices are crying out, but they're very lonely right now. They're very isolated. What we need to do is we need to say to our children, listen to those voices. Sometimes I think when we look at America today, there can be a corporate loss of God's protection, God's provision, God's presence, God's power. You see, sometimes you and I have to understand that individually I may be right with the Lord. 
I may be experiencing God's provisions, God's God's power, God's presence. I I may feel the protection of God individually, but corporately I may be in a nation that may be getting ready not to have that. Okay? So you and I have to understand that in raising children, we may be raising children that, you know, uh, Eric, a haunting question that he asked me out there in the foyer last week, he said, Brother Jeff, do you ever wonder what the nation will be like or do you ever see this nation being overcome by another nation or do you ever see a war of such magnitude that we could lose it or could there be an economic collapse that could bring great heartache? I looked at him and I said, maybe not in my lifetime, but definitely in yours. You see, because corporately, as America moves farther and farther away spiritually, we begin, like Israel, begin to lose the protection, the provision, the presence, and the power of God in our lives. There can be corporate loss to the nation, while individually we need to prepare our children to be strong and to listen to those spiritual voices that are speaking. Let me give you an example. Months and months and months ago, and I would say even, well, years ago, God began to impress upon me that he wanted me to go from state to state and to pray over the capitals and over the governments of those states. I, I didn't understand that. I've had, I've had preachers look at me and say, what? I, I've, I've had, had them even comment to my children that perhaps I was kind of losing my mind. Okay, so, you know, um, but it kept being impressed upon me. And finally it became so strong and I began to, you can ask Sheila, there's a napkin out there in the car right now. I began to write the capitals on a napkin and begin to figure out the distance between capital to capital to capital. And finally I came to you and I said, this is what God's leading me to do. I don't know why. I don't know why God's leading me to do that. And I'm not necessarily the best, best one to be doing this because of my own struggle. So, you know, I, I talked to you about separation anxiety and, you know, my own struggles. I don't look to want to be away for, for a period of time. But I remember leaving and I remember getting to the first capital there in Alabama, Montgomery. And as I stepped out, I, I'm still not sure, God, what are you doing? When I looked at that capital and I began to weep. And then I began to walk around that capital and it felt a hundred degrees around that capital. Then I went to Atlanta and I walked around that capital. Then I went from Atlanta, I went to South Carolina, I went to North Carolina, I went to Virginia, then I went to Washington, D.C. But I want you to know something. When I went to Trenton, New Jersey, when I crossed New Jersey state line and I saw Governor Chris Christie's name there, there was an overwhelming emotion, there was weeping, there was a heaviness in my heart. And the same was when I got to New York. In fact, I was so overwhelmed when I was in Albany, New York, that I called Bob Smith and I said, Bob, I need you to pray with me and pray for Governor Como. Now imagine if Chris Christie 
Imagine if the governor of New Jersey had looked out and saw this man walking seven times around that Capitol building. Imagine if someone from that government had seen me walking around and, and said, hey, call that guy in there. Has he got all his marbles? And I went in there and sat down with some political leaders of the governor. And I said to the governor, I don't know what's getting ready to happen in your state, but all I know is this, for sometimes God, for some time now God has had you on my heart, and my own preacher friends may think I'm crazy. My church is kind of, they, they may not be sure about me either, but all I know is that God asked me to come. And when I came across this state line, I wept, and I began to pray for you, Governor Christie, and I'm praying for this state state. And Governor Christie said, you know, I don't, I believe this guy's a rational, pretty smart man. Maybe I need to be preparing for something that's getting ready to happen. Let me ask you this. Could you imagine Governor Christie's faith in Christ, his commitment to God, because he could be one day a presidential candidate. Could you imagine had he simply said, let me talk to this guy. If me and him had had a conversation and then after this Hurricane Sandy hit, could you imagine how his faith would go out the roof? Governor Como in New York. You see, you and I need to understand that sometimes those spiritual leaders, those prophetic figures in our life are very, very important. And in some ways, they're a gift from God. And they're a gift from God in America today. I can tell you, they're a gift from God in America today. Men like Billy Graham, who in his 90s, Bob Smith told me that Billy Graham is so grieved over the nation today that he weeps so much over it. And in his 90s has said that if he can get the strength up that he will do one more crusade in America, if nothing else, because of his concern for this nation. Charles Stanley is so broken, the pastor of First Baptist Church Atlanta, that he's written a book about the potential for disaster in this nation today. There are spiritual voices. I tell you, I get in on Wednesday nights when I get in my vehicle and I cut my radio on. And if it, from 7.30 to 8 on 92.5 on AFR, I'm listening to Adrian Rogers, who's been dead for years now, and it's, if he is, it's as if his message is hauntingly true. I listen to Francis Schaeffer, uh, a man who died in his 70s, one of the great theologians from, the, from Switzerland who warned this nation that it would be under judgment. And I was listening to a message that he preached 30 years ago, and I literally was startled by what he was saying and the accuracy by which he said it 30 years ago. I can say this, that if you and I are serious about raising children... Now listen, if you're raising children to survive in the world, that's one thing. You don't, you don't even have to listen to this. You can tune out. But if you're raising children that will be kingdom builders, that will be young men and women like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and like Daniel, then listen to those spiritual voices. Number two, we're going to have to teach our children to stand alone. Let me ask you a question. Are you raising children who can stand alone, who can break away from their peers if need be and go by themselves? 
Now, I'm not talking about a loner for the sake of a loner. I'm talking about a person who says, listen, I can't do that. I can't be a part of that. And they have the ability and the capacity and the integrity and the courage to stand all alone by themselves. This was Daniel. Daniel was raised by parents who not only said, Daniel, listen to those prophets, listen to those spiritual voices. Number two, he was raised by a man and a woman who said, Daniel, understand this, son, you're going to have to stand alone, and you need to be prepared for that. There was a missionary family in the Philippines who I believe had four children, maybe more. The mother became pregnant with her last child. The doctor recommended that that child be aborted. The the father, and I've heard this man speak, the father of that child said he believed that that unborn child would be used greatly by God and would be a preacher. And so he and his wife began to pray over that pregnancy, praying over that womb, laying hands on on that womb. Doctors said abort that baby, this baby's going to be deformed, this baby's not going to be of any, this baby's going to bring you great heartache. This father said he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He would bow and he would pray. He would pray constantly. He would pray over and over and over again over this baby. That baby was born to that missionary family. That baby grew up. And that baby went on to set all kinds of high school football records. That baby went on to set the BCS passing record down in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago. I watched him when he did it. And that baby today is known as a man who does this. And the world can joke about it being called T-bowing. But the reality is that young man got that from a godly man, a dad, who many, many times bowed. That young man saw Andy Stanley said this of Charles Stanley. He said, many a time I would see my dad bow his knee and go to the Lord in prayer. I'm sure that Tim Tebow simply models what he's seen all of his life. You see, I want to say to you young parents, you do not know what they'll be. Dad, Mom, let me say this to you. If you're here pregnant, if you've got a young baby, if you've got a young child, if you've got a young uh, boy or girl that you're raising up right now, number one, you don't know what they'll be. That dad sitting over in the Philippines with a baby that the doctors were saying should be aborted was praying over that baby. He had no idea how, how, how great that child would one day become and the impact of his life on this nation as to prayer. You don't know what they'll be. Number two, you don't know where they'll go. And number three, you don't know the lives they'll affect. Are you raising your children to stand alone? Are you raising them for greatness? Are you raising them to know how to handle that greatness, to handle that platform, to see that great greatness as a platform to build the kingdom? My dad and I were in a conversation this week over a meal in Primo's. And I brought up a family, a football family. And I said to my dad, I said, I've never heard this family, because my dad was talking about this family. I said, you know, Dad, I said, the thing that bothers me, I've never heard that family ever say anything about the gospel, about Jesus, about nothing. 
but about that sport that they're involved in. And my dad began to defend them. And finally, I got emotional, and I began to tear up. I began to cry. And I said to my dad, I said, you know, I said, I remember David Robinson, Robinson, the great basketball player, the San Antonio Spurs. He was sitting in a restaurant one day, I believe a Cracker Barrel, and you've heard me tell this story, how this great NBA player, this man, Hall of Famer, is sitting there and a woman realized that it was David Robinson came over with a bulletin. She was an African-American woman. She came over with a bulletin that was her brother had died unexpectedly. She came up and she looked at him, tears in her eyes, and she said, Mr. Robinson, I don't mean to interrupt you. You're here with your family. But would you sign this? Would you sign this bulletin? Because my brother loved the San Antonio Spurs so much and he loved you and he admired you. And he said, yes, ma'am, I'll be glad to. And then he looked at her, and that big, massive man began to... He, he looked, and he turned, and his hands are just, you know, they palm a basketball. He just looked, and he said, could I pray for you? In that restaurant, he reached, and those massive hands came across this little, dried-up-looking woman, and he wrapped his hands around her hands, probably stretched all the way up, halfway up her forearms. And he began to pray, and they said the whole restaurant bowed its head and began to pray along with him. Listen, Mom, Dad, you don't know. You don't know the greatness. You don't know where that child may one day be and the impact that they may have. When I read the biography of Tony Dungy, the, the, the uh, coach for the Indianapolis Colts all those years, he said that when he went to the Super Bowl, he was so upset over the commercials and the advertisements that he raised. He's a godly Christian man. He raised up such a fuss, and he said not one person came to his aid. Well, he said one person came to his aid. You know who it was? Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots. Steve's back there smiling. And I looked at my dad with tears in my eyes as he tried to defend this family. I said, Dad, we need men and women that will boldly stand for the cause of Christ. Kingdom builders. Are you raising children to stand alone? Number three... A disciplined life. If you look at Daniel in, the, in this chapter here in the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He besieged it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These Notice this, the Lord delivered. Isn't that great? The sovereign hand of God still watching over Israel. And it said here that he carried off, as we said a moment ago, all the possessions and even the brightest and the best men like young men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. There's indoctrination. 
The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Verse 6, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the chief official gave them new names, Daniel, Belshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah to Abednego. But Daniel resolved, look at verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in any way. Listen to me. Daniel understood discipline. He understood it. He was not only raised by parents that understood the capacity of what God could do in Daniel's young life for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were parents that had raised their children. Listen to those spiritual voices. Number two, be willing to stand alone. They had been taught to stand alone, but they'd also been taught a very disciplined life, a kosher diet. In other words, the foods that were to conform to the Jewish dietary law. And Daniel would not compromise here. He would not take of the king's delicacies because it went against kosher, the kosher Jewish dietary laws of Levitical law. He couldn't compromise here. He said, listen, we can't be a part of that. You know, sometimes I think, uh, and I want to say this, some of you are killing yourself by your diet. And I I know that you think, well, I'm just a mean old preacher. But I want you to know this. God wants you to be healthy, and He wants you to be here as long as you possibly can to build up the kingdom. And for some of you in this room, the truth is your diet and lack of exercise is killing you. Our enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. It doesn't matter. Like I've said a million times, he'd just soon do it through a happy meal is literally to kill you outright right now. He's willing to bide his time. And we live in a nation today that's very undisciplined, and yet Daniel was taught a very disciplined. This diet to Daniel represented his ability to say no to the flesh. I'm sure that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, brought all kinds of delicacies from all over the world. Fruits, vegetables, meats, and all kinds of things. All kinds of sweets and things that may have even been new to his diet, things he had never seen before. But Daniel would say, no, no, no. He could say no to the flesh. I want you to see this. Take a right and go over to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, right after Romans, real quickly. Let me, let me get you to look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want you to see what Paul says. Because I believe that one thing we have to teach our children is not only that capacity to listen to those spiritual voices that are speaking truth in their lives, not only that capacity to stand alone, but that ability to be disciplined when it comes to the flesh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul said this. He said, everything is permissible for me. You know what he's saying? Look this way. I can eat bacon and sausage biscuit if I want. I can go to McDonald's and have a sausage biscuit if I want. Everything is permissible 
for me, but watch this, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. Now look at the next phrase. But I will not be mastered by anything. That's the discipline life. Now look at verses, look at verse 19 and 20. In verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your body is the what? the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Look at verse 20. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with what? With your body. You know, we forget that sometimes. God has given your body is the temple of God's Holy Spirit. God's living in you. Your enemy's going to do everything that he can. Listen, not only to attack you spiritually, but to attack you physically. If your body breaks down, then it's over. It doesn't matter how spiritually strong you are. And so Daniel had been modeled before him a disciplined life, the ability to say no. Now look at verse 20. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Now look at, flip over to chapter 9, verse 27, because this is critical. In chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, look what Paul says here. He says, no, I beat my body and make it my slave. You know what Paul's saying? I beat I refuse to be mastered by my flesh or by my appetites. No! I beat my body and make it my what? My slave there. In the Greek, it's doulos, a slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will be disqualified for the prize. Daniel knew that to compromise here with the king's diet would open a tidal wave of compromises with a world system. In other words, he had to say no. And you may say, well, that's a little thing, but my friend, it's important. If you and I listen, if we can't discipline this, if we can't discipline our bodies, if we can't discipline our appetites, then can I ask you something? How in the world are we going to discipline ourselves when it comes to spiritual matters such as the study of God's Word and that time spent in prayer or that time spent in evangelism? You see, Daniel had been taught discipline. This wasn't something new. This was a way of life. In fact, I wrote this down. Disciplines were modeled and lived out. Listen to this quote. The Christian life is a disciplined life. Did you hear that? Jesus was tender. He was filled with grace, but he was also tough. No nonsense. Void of pretense. He called his followers to abandon family, friends, possessions. At times he called them perverted, which meant twisted because they had wondered, and, and he even would wonder how long he would have to contend with them. He would confront governments, the Sanhedrin of his day. He called Herod a fox. He required a level of sacrifice out of his closest followers that was gut-wrenching. He demanded discipline, and yet today we coddle, we coax, and we compromise to get an audience. So there's discipline, last one, fourth one. Parent, you and I need to understand this. We have to raise children that will listen to spiritual truth, those voices that are, being, that are speaking into their life, into the nation. 
Okay. Number two, we have to teach our children to stand alone. Okay. I, I, I can tell you this much. I've never, I've been, listen, I am a football, I used to be a football addict. I have never in the history of NBA, NFL, the baseball, professional baseball, hockey, all of it, I have never in my 50, almost 57 years of life seen one central figure attacked more than the young man who's simply doing this right here. Listen, this, this, is, this is a spiritual battle here. This is an old carnal, fleshly, professional sports industry, multi-billion dollar industry that cannot stand this right here. And I can tell you this much, those two missionaries in the Philippines that were raising that boy taught him the ability to stand alone, to stand by himself. None of the rest of the world would stand with him. Discipline life, and then finally to understand, fourthly, this cultural indoctrination. Look at verse 5. He sums it up in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. To a Jew, to a Jew, holy meant separated. That's what the word meant. Hagias in the Greek meant to be separated. Jesus would often say, come out from among them and be ye separate. When Moses led the Hebrew people, the Jews, out of, out of Egypt, he warned them. Here again, here was a spiritual leader warning the people, saying to them, the danger as you go into the promised land with milk and honey and all of the blessings that it has, the danger is, is that you'll conform to the cultures around you and you will become like the pagans. You will adopt their ways. You will begin to look like them. And listen to this, listen to this. This is critical, parent. This is critical to every person in this room. Their culture was under judgment, and what Moses was saying, if you adopt their culture, then you'll be under judgment. Did you hear that? Now, I want to say to parents, you can't stop it. The world is out to indoctrinate your children to their way of life, to their culture, to their language. Listen, words that used to be, hey, if you would have said these words when I was a boy, man, you'd have had a fight. People would have been upset. Now it's on music. It's on primetime TV. Nobody even thinks about it anymore. Why? Because the world system has slowly acclimated us, indoctrinated us so that we're not, we don't think no more about it. We're not bothered by it. We're not bothered by what we see. If Victoria's Secret had been advertised 50 years ago when I was a boy, they would have called that pornography. You'd have never seen that in a mall. You'd have never seen it on primetime TV. People wouldn't have stood for it. They'd have said, that's not right. We can't have that. And they would have revolted and they would have boycotted, done whatever, they'd stopped it. We had blue laws. Blue laws went to pot because the reality is is that Christian people wanted to eat out on Sunday. The cigarette industry is still going strong. The alcohol industry is growing, growing, going strong. I can tell you why. 
because the church is also helping fund it and keep it going. And you know what happened to us? Our enemy basically said this, hey, you people are getting all out of sorts over nothing. This is just the way it is, always been that way, always going to be that way. Don't, don't, don't get in the way of it. You see, you can't stop it. You can't insulate your children from it. You can't isolate them from it. The world is going to do everything it can to indoctrinate your children, my children, and now my grandchildren. So you can't stop it. You can't isolate your children. You can't insulate your kids from it. So what do you do? You teach them to listen to spiritual voices. You incorporate those voices. Listen, we were always inviting godly spiritual people into our kids' lives. So you, you teach them to listen. You teach them to stand alone. You teach them a disciplined life. To learn disciplines and how to say no to the flesh. And then fourthly, you help them understand that this world system is tra- trying to indoctrinate them and they've got to do something about it. Now let me listen to me closely. My grandson, my oldest grandson will be five in a few weeks. And I told you about being in a place one day where my oldest grandson and I were sitting there and a person came in and they sat down and, and, and they began to talk to us and we got into a conversation. Now my little grandson is sitting over there coloring. And before long, this person gets into a, an, he wants to argue with me on the authority of Scripture and the integrity of Scripture because he's not a believer at all. And so I'm defending the faith, defending the faith, standing, answering his arguments, contending for the faith, unapologetically, openly in this public place. My grandson, who's four years old, is listening. When we get into the car, he brings up this man. He said, Papa, he said, "That, that man, he began to ask me some questions about him. And I said, that man is not a follower of Jesus Christ. He's not a Christian. And I said, and it bothered him because he didn't believe in the flood and he didn't believe in Noah's Ark and he didn't believe in this and that even though I was contending. And and I said said to my grandson, I said, Sam, I said, that man is not a Christian. He's not a follower of Christ. He He doesn't believe in the authority of Scripture. And I said, but you heard Papa answering him. And then I said this to him. I said, and, and I said, uh, and Sam, if that man doesn't get his life right and, and sell out to Christ and be the man that God would have him to be, that man will one day die and go to hell. And my little four-year-old grandson sat up when he heard hell. And he said, what? And I said, Sam, if he does not repent if he does not change, and if he does not give his heart and life to Christ and become a follower of Christ, then he will one day die and go to hell. I said, Sam, I looked in the rearview mirror. He's back there in his little car seat. I said, Sam, do you understand that? His little head was going. Okay, that's been months, months. Do you know that still weighs on him? Do you know he still talks about that? Do you know he still says comments about that? Do you know that his understanding is that that man, if he does not repent, will not spend eternity with Christ in heaven? He knows that. 
Parent, you have to ground your children to survive in these uncertain times. You have to ground them in the Word of God. You have to incorporate into the life of your children godly influences, those spiritual voices. You have to use teaching moments just like that moment with Sam, no matter how old they are. My goodness, cut this off. Cut it off. Cut the TV off. Cut it off in your vehicles. Use that time to pour into your children and to use those teachable moments. If you're a grandparent here today, you counsel your children to get rid of this. They don't have to get rid of it, but to cut it off, put it away. Spend time pouring into the children so that they begin to understand, so that they'll be prepared for whatever the future holds. Number four, counter the enemy with truth. If you hear something on TV that goes against the Word of God, goes against the faith, then listen, you say out loud in front of your children, we don't believe that. I don't agree with that. Adrian Rogers said one day a lady came and he was sitting there with his children. They were small. And the woman said, would you, all like a, would you like a drink before you start? Looked at him and Joyce Rogers. He said, none of us drink here. And he made such a clear statement, it shook his children. They never forgot that teachable moment. Use those teachable moments. Counter the enemy. And publicly, whenever you possibly can. Wherever you hear the enemy... And wherever you hear lies and untruths, things that go against the Word of God, be bold enough and brave enough to speak against it. Lastly, live it out. Listen, be, be at home what you are here. You know the great thing about intimacy, fellowship? We can be honest with one another. We can just say the truth. It's not that we're without sin. It's not that we don't struggle. It's not that there's not skeletons in the closet. It's not that we don't have sins which thus so easily beset us. Do you know what the word blameless means? It doesn't mean sinless. It just simply means nobody can bring bring an accusation against you. In other words, to say blameless just simply means somebody can't come to you and accuse you of something that you've just not publicly said, hey, this is my struggle, this is my weakness, I'm battling with this. And it doesn't mean that we stand up before a whole congregation and say that. But if somebody approached you, you say, yeah, I've got some dear friends of mine. My three men we were talking about this morning are three friends, those close friends, those trash, trash collectors we called them. But you can look and say, hey man, I've got, I got two or three buddies over here. They all know that. And I'm dealing with it. That's what it means to be blameless. It doesn't mean to be sinless. Parent, I plead with you. If we're going to raise children that will be able to survive in uncertain times, we're going to have to incorporate these things into their lives. Into their lives. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. And you may be here today and you may say, I'm a parent, I'm a mom or a dad. But pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. Mom, dad, let me say this to you. 
the first thing that you do is give your heart and your life to Christ. You begin to serve Him. You begin to live for Him. You make Him Lord right now. And you can do that. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? With heads bowed and with eyes closed. I tell you how to do that. You just simply right now, mom, dad, recognize, grandparent, because these are uncertain times. We don't know what they hold. We don't know how God's going to judge America. I believe God already is. And for you and I to be prepared, for you and I to be ready, we've got to be the kind of examples and leaders that we need to be. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then the first thing is giving your heart and your life to Christ. Begin to live for Him. Begin to serve Him. If you don't know Him, invite Him in right now to be your Lord and Savior. And again, you may say, well, how do I do that simple childlike prayer? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But I know that you love me. I know you died on that cross for me. And I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And be my Lord and my Savior. A simple childlike prayer in faith. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. All you have to do right now is receive Christ into your heart. Would you do that, mom, dad, grandparent, young person? You may be here today and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but my life is not where it needs to be. I know these are uncertain times, and you're right. I, I, I worry about raising my kids in this kind of environment. And I've heard what you've said today, but I've not been, kind of, I've not been living the example that I need to live. Well, then repent of that. It's that simple. You just repent. You say, Lord, I confess, I agree with you. I've not been where I need to be. And you know what you do? You call, the fam- you call a family meeting. Bring them all in together. You just say, listen, I've not been where I need to be. I've not been living the kind of example I ought to live. And I want to ask you to forgive. Some of you senior adults, you may need to do that with a grown child who's not, who's not serving the Lord, not committed to the things of God. Because I can tell you, this half-hearted commitment... This flippant attitude toward the things of God is not going to get it when it comes to uncertain times that are yet to come. So this may be a great opportunity for you to make a fresh commitment to Christ. It may be an opportunity for you to spend a moment in prayer. Would you do that today? Our Heavenly Father, we just pray, dear Lord, that God, we know these are uncertain times. God, we don't know what the future holds, but we sure know who holds the future. God, may that statement right there sink into the mind and the heart of every single parent in this room. We do not know what the future holds. Not for our families, not for our children, not for our lives. But we certainly know who holds the future. And we praise you, God. And Lord, I pray that if there's a parent here that does not know you, that today they would give their heart and their life to you. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them. I pray, dear Lord, that they would begin to live their life in obedience to your word. God, I've done all I can do. 
I've done what you've asked me to do this morning. Now may the power of your Holy Spirit do what needs to be done in the hearts of people. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.